Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Christy, for playing. Thank you, Joseph, for leading the music. Folks, Jesus is coming again. Amen. That's not a maybe. That's not an I hope so. That's a fact. Jesus right. is coming again. And Jesus' mercy goes beyond the universe. Uh, there's not too many things that we could, matter of fact, there's nothing that we could measure the mercy of God to. But here in Psalm 103, he uses a, an example of the universe. Psalm 103. Go to Psalm 103, please. We're going to be going around different places in Psalm 103, so we'll pretty much be staying there. We may go to a few other places too, but mainly in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 and verse 11. It says, For as the heaven, the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. When God talks about the heaven that's above the earth, he's talking about the universe the realm of the stars and the planets. Now, it's impossible to really truly visualize the mercy, the great mercy of God. So he uses this example of comparing it to the universe. Scientists tell us, good old scientists, scientists tell us that the universe is 54 sextillion, million, sextillion miles in diameter. That is 54 million, oh, 54 billion trillion miles. Now, I don't know which one of those scientists took a yardstick and measured that. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if it's true that it's exactly... Don't you just love scientists? They, come, they, they pull these numbers out of, the, out of the sky and they say, oh yeah, this is that much and this is that much and all this stuff. Some of it's true. Some of it's foolishness. Yeah, they say that's how big the universe is, but I think the point that God means showing us is that the universe is unmeasurable but it's not infinite only God is infinite but the universe is so great that we can't measure it and he says that as the as the universe is so great above the earth that's how great my mercy is toward you not that God's mercy is limited to this to the realm of the universe but that he's comparing something that that we can somewhat understand the universe and God's mercy is that great Psalm, say it in Psalm 103 look at verses 8 through 10 the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy he will not always chide or strive or judge neither will he keep his anger forever he hath not dwelt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Wow. Can you imagine if he did? Can you imagine if he judged us according to our iniquities? Can you imagine what would happen if God looked at the earth and saw all the murders and all the rapes and all the abortions and all the foolishness and all the sinfulness that he sees on the earth and says, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to judge the earth according to your sinfulness. He doesn't do that. He says he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Thank God that he's slow to anger because I'm pretty sure I've made him angry quite a few times. But he's slow to anger. 
Oh, you got to close the doors. So, again, can you imagine what it would be like if he did judge us according to our iniquities? So why doesn't he? Why doesn't God? Because he laid our iniquities on his own son. Isaiah, you don't have to go there. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes or with his sufferings we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sins of the whole world, not just the sins of Christians, the sins of the whole world were, were laid upon the Son of God when he was on the cross. And his own father had to turn his back on his son because of the sin that was laid upon his own son. And God has laid upon him the sin of us all. Jesus took our sins upon him so that we can have forgiveness. Come on in. And I'm just going to continue. Jesus took our sins upon him so that we can have forgiveness. Psalm 103, verses 3 to 5 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is redeemed like eagles. Does that mean that Christians never get sick? Does that mean that Christians never have problems? Does that mean that Christians always are going to have a hunky-dory life? No. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9 says, Paul is speaking here. And Paul says, Lest that I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times. God, Paul asked God three times to take his eye problem away, that it might depart from me. And he said unto thee, unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may be upon me. Paul, God told Paul, I'm not going to heal your eyes because I want you to, to show your weakness in the flesh and show my power in the gospel. I don't want to use a man that's full of pride. And Paul said, Therefore, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may, may rest upon me. But sometimes God does heal us, doesn't he? Right, Pastor? Pastor, Pastor Tony Barbosa, cancer. And he had therapy, he had chemotherapy and all that stuff, but if you were to ask him, how were you healed of your cancer? He wouldn't say, it was the chemotherapy. He would say, it was God that healed me. 
He's, he needs a healing right now. He's, got, he's, a little, he's a little sick right now. Can God heal him from his little cold? Can God heal people who have COVID? Can God heal people who have cancer? Yes, he can. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. But God knows what we need. God has a plan for everybody's life. Don't look back on your life and say, God doesn't love me because he didn't take care of me. There's a reason that he does everything. So yes, God always blesses us. But there's one thing that God never says no. There's one blessing that God will never say no to, and that is our spiritual infirmities. Our God always, always, always heals our spiritual infirmities. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9 says, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 9, For he satisfieth the longing of my soul, and he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. How did he satisfy the hungering of your soul? By dying on the cross and paying for your sins and making it possible for you to be saved. And he filleth your hungry soul. Now your stomach, my stomach right now is hungry, okay, because I need to eat something. That's one thing. But my soul is never hungry because I have Christ as my Savior. And if you have Christ as your Savior, your soul will never be hungry. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for your sins and promises you a place in heaven. That hunger of your soul, the hunger of your soul will always be fulfilled. God never says no to a person that comes to him in faith. But he does satisfy physical needs also. Like I said, not always, but that doesn't mean because you're a Christian that you always have to go around drooping around and being unhappy because because everything's all so bad and, and everything's no good and the world is full of the, 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 the there's problems, the financial problems in the world and, and I'm not going to get through this. But God knows how to satisfy our physical needs too. Matthew said, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall I eat? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, get this, your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of, of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God knows that the most important thing is your soul. The most important thing is your salvation. And like I said before, God never says no to the need of your soul. But sometimes... God says yes to the needs of your physical needs. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says no, like you said to Paul. But sometimes he says yes. But he doesn't want us to worry about it. Don't go around, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? God knows the things that we need. But the soul is most important. If God has done something to take care of your soul, then the physical things are only secondary. Secondly, we see God removes the judgment of our sin. I love this. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? In a straight line. 
not going around the, the globe, but in a straight line. How far is the east from the west? 10 miles, 100 miles, a trillion miles, 54 sextillion miles, like the scientists say. There's no, the east and the west will never meet. And he said, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I will remove your transgressions. Not only does he remove it from us, he forgets about it. The sea of God's forgetfulness. In Micah 7, go, to, go there. Go to Micah chapter, hold your finger in uh, Psalms and go to Micah chapter 7, if you can find it. No, Micah. I probably shouldn't have done that. Micah's a hard book to find. It goes, uh, yeah, it goes Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. So right after Jonah is Micah. You got it? Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage? That's you and me and the Old Testament saints. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Thank God my sins are gone. You know, God doesn't remember your sins when you trust Christ as your Savior. He forgets it because it's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, he that blotteth out thy transgressions, for my own sake, will not remember thy sins. Remember what, what Peter said to Jesus? He said, uh, Lord, how many times should I forget my, forgive my brother? Until seven times? And Jesus said, no, until 70 times seven. That's 490 times. Does that mean that once I've reached my sin 490 times that God's going to stop forgiving me? No. It was just an allegory. It's a picture of multiplication, 70 times 7. In other words, never stop forgiving, because if I stop forgiving, you're in trouble. But God does not stop forgiving. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and will not remember thy sins. But there's one thing that God does not forget, and that is he does not forget our service to him. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work of labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God has given, believe it or not, God has given you, Christians, a special gift. The special gifts are mentioned in, in uh, Testament, the gift of healings, the gift of gifts, the gift of giving, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching, uh, 
the gift of mercies. There are different things. But every one of us, God has given a gift. So we need to use them. We need to find out what gift God has given to you. Why am I ringing? I don't know. Is it, this, is it because this is on? No, that's not on. God has given to us spiritual gifts, and he wants us to use them. And if we don't use them, we're not pleasing God. But if we do use them, he doesn't forget. God's going to say, well done, thou faithful, thou faithful servant. But God also understands our weaknesses. I am not perfect, and neither are you. I have weaknesses, and so do you. But God can understand our weaknesses because through Jesus, he went through the whole thing himself. In Psalm 103, verses, back, back in Psalm 103, verses 13 to 17, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, our body, our weaknesses, and remembereth that we are just, uh, we are dust, as for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercies of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's, unto children's children. He understands our weaknesses because Jesus took upon himself a man, a body, the form of a servant. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest, Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus got hungry. In Matthew 21.18, the fig tree, he was hungry. Can you imagine that? Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. At the cross, he said, I thirst. Jesus got weary. Jesus got tired when he walked, when he was walking through Samaria and stopped at the woman at the well. It says he sat down because he was weary with his journey. Jesus got angry when he saw what they were doing in the temple. That's righteous anger. That's proper anger. Anger because they were sinning. They were using, you know what they were doing in the temple. They were selling, they were changing money from, from Roman money to Jewish money, and they were making a profit on that. And then they were selling animals that were not perfect. They were, they were marred for the sacrifices. And Jesus was angry at that because he said, my house is a house of prayer, not a, temp not a place of thieves. He got frustrated. In Mark chapter 8, verse 12, we see the, the Pharisees were asking Jesus for a sign. Had he already given them many, 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 many signs? Had he already healed many, many people? Had he already walked on water? Had he already stopped the storm? And there they are, wanting another sign. He got frustrated. You know what he did? He went, oh, I could just see him looking for a sign. Oh, how many times do I have to give you a sign? He was frustrated with them. He was sad. He was sad when Lazarus died. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. He was sad. 
he was tempted. The devil tempted him with three different types of temptations. Just the way the devil tempts us. So he went through all this. He experienced the same physical weaknesses, so to speak, that we do. Hunger, thirst, weariness, angry, sad, tempted. He experienced all that, and so he understands our bodies, our weaknesses, because he experienced them himself. So he knows how to, how to answer our prayer. He knows how to take care of us because he experienced the same things. But sometimes he has to chasten us when we need it. Hebrews 12, 5-7 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation, oh, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto us as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked, when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Now let's understand about chastening. Chastening is not punishment. The purpose of chastening is not to punish us for doing wrong. The purpose of chastening us is to correct us to do the right thing. And, and Jesus likens the Father in heaven to a father who has a son and who did something wrong. And what does this father do to the son when he does something wrong? He chastens him. He corrects him. Uh, he doesn't, he's not supposed to do anything to him bad because he wants to punish him or because he's angry, but he, because he wants to correct him. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he who the father chasteneth not? Chastening is not something that we should not like. We should like it. We should love it. Because when we are chastened by God, it shows us that God loves us and he wants to correct us. But he also provides us with a way to escape. Not to escape chastening, but to escape temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. But God is faithful, whom will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Remember that. God will not allow you to be tempted above that ye, will, ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. The problem is, we ignore the way of escape. We say to ourselves, I like this temptation. I'm going to follow this temptation. I'm going to yield to this temptation. But God has supplied for us a way to escape. Turn your eyes away from it. Come to church. What's the purpose of church? Is there any temptation in here? Have any of you tempted me this morning? Have I tempted any of you this morning? Have I tempted you to sin? Have you tempted me to sin? When we come into the church, we're a group of, of believers that believe the same way. It's like being in an oasis on the desert. You get out of the sun and you go into the, you, you look for an oasis and the beautiful palm trees and it's nice and shady and there's, and there's dates and there's, there's fruit. It's a time of rest. It's a time of escaping the beating of the sun. The church is like an oasis. It's a place that we can escape the tribulations of the world. The world does not 
love God, so to speak. Unbelievers do not love God. And they don't love you. And Jesus said, don't take heed. It's not that they don't love you. It's that they don't love me. So there is a way to escape temptation. But we have to follow it. God does not force us to escape temptation. God does not want puppets that he can control on a string. You ever see those little puppets on a string? You lift this finger and his arm goes up. You lift that finger and the other arm goes up. You do this and he sh shakes his head. You do this and he walks. You know, God does not want a puppet. God wants us to love him and follow him because we desire to do his will. And he's preparing a place for us. Now, I talked about this a little bit this morning. In Psalm 103, verses 19 to 22, it says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. Hearken unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Do you do his pleasure? Are you doing his pleasure all the time? He says, Bless the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The world is full of problems, and we all have problems, and we get older, and we get cranky, and we, get, we have pain, and our bodies wear out like I talked about this morning. And we, and we can't run around like we used to when we were young. But when we look back at it, when we get to heaven and we see what God has prepared for us and we look back at all, that those, all those troubles that we had, we're going to say, no comparison. Jesus said, again, I, I already talked about this verse, but I'm going to say it again because I love it. Let not your heart be troubled. Why should you be troubled? You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Remember we talked about New Jerusalem last week, that beautiful city coming down from God? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He will be with us, or we will be with him. Do you ever wonder... Sometimes when I'm weak in the head, I say to myself, when I get to heaven, am I going to have to take a number and say, oh, I'm number 475, so I have to wait 475 people before me before I can see Jesus. Is that the way it is? He said, where I am, there ye may be also, and I will be with you. We don't have to stand in line. We're not going to have to stand in line and wait for our turn to be with Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I have a limited mind. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know one thing. I will be with him, and he will be with me. That where I am, there ye may be also. And guess what, folks? He's coming again. Amen. Uh, Eric just sang that song. Eric sang that song. He's coming again. That's not the, not, not the name of it. But basically, it's about the fact that Jesus promised, I will come again. Remember Douglas MacArthur? I shall return. Yeah, big deal. 
if you read about what he did in the, well, I want to get into the Philippines thing, but he wasn't very good, right? No. He was full of himself. Yeah, I will come again. Yeah, after everything is all done and, and destroyed. But anyway, that's not the way Jesus is going to come again. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery in 1 Corinthians 15. Ye shall not all sleep, but we shall, all, we shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's the, those that are in the grave. Incorruptible. Remember what we said about incorruptible this morning? You're not going to wear out, folks. And we shall be changed. Our bodies will, will put on incorruption and immortality. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. No more death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? People that are unbelievers, I don't care what they say. Even, even, uh, even, um, what do you call those people that are don't believe in God? Atheist. The atheist says, "Thank God, I'm an atheist." Right? <laughs> I don't care what they say. Deep down in there, they are afraid to die because they don't know what's going to happen. They don't believe what Jesus did for them. They don't want to believe it. They want to live for this life. Like I said, uh, I was watching a series uh, called The Great Men That Changed America. It's about John D. Rockefeller and, and, um, and uh, J.P. Morgan and who that other guy was. Carnegie. They, yeah, did they change America? They sure did. Carnegie, Carnegie used steel to make tall buildings, and Rockefeller had oil, and you know what he did with the oil. And J.P. Morgan was a banker, but he actually financed Thomas Edison to bring light, electric light, into the into the the, the country. Yep. They did all that. But when they died, and they stood before God. And God looked at them and said, see all that stuff you did? It was worthless because you lost your soul. Those guys, those three guys together, they sat on there on the, on the show, those three guys together, uh, Rockefeller, Carnegie, and, and Morgan, uh, compared to this, the way the money is today, they had more money between the three of them than everybody else in the whole United States put together. They had a lot, a lot of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And what good did it do them? They gained the whole world. They thought they did, but they lost their soul. Now, Rockefeller was a Baptist. I don't know. He might have been saved. I don't, I don't know if he was or not. But if he wasn't, he gained the whole world, a multimillionaire and hundreds of millions of dollars, and he lost his own soul. And he can't say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because he lost his soul. So in closing, let me just say this. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not sent him not for God sent not me to the soul to the will to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. Whosoever believeth in me is not shall not perish, but whosoever doesn't believe shall perish. So the question is, do you believe? All these things that I talked about this morning are for those that believe. If you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you can't claim these great things, these great promises that God has made for you. The only way you can do that, I'm talking to people out on, on, on the, in the social media and the people that are here, it says, whosoever believeth, you have to believe. And if you don't believe, you can't be saved. And if you're not saved, you can't have heaven. And Jesus has not prepared a place for you if you're not a believer. Let's uh, close in prayer, and then uh, Joseph's going to come up and lead us in a, in a song of invitation. Father, now I pray that you would reach into our hearts and touch us in a way that we need to be touched. We thank you, Lord, for all these great blessings that you've given to us and for all the things that we have to look forward to. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.